Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 48. I am Michael Iani Palarchio, your host, a longtime strategist, futurist, technologist, podcaster, welcoming you to the podcast. It is Friday, September the 29th, and we have quite the show for you. We're going to be talking about a really interesting endeavor and initiative the Center for Strategic Leadership, which was launched last week at Branksom Hall. And we'll have two guests on the program to talk about that. And then I want to really do a bit of a a deep dive on a number of artificial intelligence things that have emerged over the last week. Yes, it's always moving quickly in that area. So we will look at that as well. We'll just do a very brief reflection on organizational value Know, that is developed over time and what you can do as leaders within your organizations to continue to grow value, maintain value, and most certainly, you know, take care to not destroy value. So lots to talk about. Thank you again for joining. Let's buckle up and let's go into it. Welcome, welcome this Friday, everybody. It is early, early morning. It's about 3.20 a.m. I am one of those rare people that doesn't sleep very much. And I've gotten up very early this morning to record this here in my home studio. And I'm really quite excited. First of all, I'm feeling a lot better than I was uh, last Friday when I recorded the podcast. It was quite under the weather. I, I never, I always tested negative. I did three tests and I was negative each time. But I don't know. Uh, you never know these days if you've got a mild case of COVID or I don't know, some other kind of little stomach bug. So suffice it to say, I have felt great um, this week. Um, and it has been a busy week, uh, but I was looking forward to um, today because I've got a special pre-recorded segment that I'm going to let play after my opening remarks. Now, this segment pertains to something that the school, Branksome Hall, did on Thursday, September 21st, so last Thursday, The school unveiled or launched, officially launched, our Center for Strategic Leadership. And when I say unveiled and officially launched, it's because for two years, as you will hear in the upcoming segment, this Center for Strategic Leadership has been in operation. It's kind of been operating like a pilot, like a startup, like a minimal viable product or service. And after that two-year period, learning, seeing what's been going on, how it's being received within the community, measuring results, it was time to officially launch this. Now, you might be listening to this and saying, well, what is the Center for Strategic Leadership? Well, you're going to have to listen to the upcoming interview for that. I don't want to give it all away. The interview took place between myself and the two colleagues here at the school that have been leading this and shaping this, that would be Carrie Weinstock and Patricia Antonio, and they will introduce themselves in uh, the segment and their roles. But I had them on to have a conversation about the center itself, what it means to the school, what it means to them, um, its place, Uh, why it's relevant, what its anticipated impact has been or will be, um, what was the expectation when it was launched, how has it been for two years. It's a really really good conversation uh, that we had. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let all of you listen in on this conversation that took place earlier this week. And I'll come back, we'll sort of wrap up 
that discussion, I'm going to add a little bit in and around organizational value and how organizational value is built. And if there's time, depending on how long that goes, I may throw in a little bit on artificial intelligence as well. But for now, let's tune in to Carrie and Patricia. I'm so thrilled to be able to have two really close colleagues here with me on this segment of the podcast. I'm going to let each of them introduce themselves before we kick off our conversation. Hi, I'm Carrie Weinstock, head of the Center for Strategic Leadership at Branksome. Hello, I'm Patricia Dinicola Antonio, head of talent management at Branksome Hall. And welcome to you both. Patricia, this is the first time you're on the podcast. It is. I'm really excited. Carrie, this is your second visit here, and uh, we're going to be talking about leadership today. One of the things I've alluded to to our listeners is we really had a historic moment um, here at the school with the official launch of the Center for Strategic Leadership. Um, And I thought, you know, Carrie, you could start by telling us a little bit about the Center for Strategic Leadership, its genesis. It's been in action and it's been having an impact, and there's a reason why now we call it a specific launch. So why don't you just tell our listening audience a little bit about the center? Sure, Michael. First of all, it's just great to be here. We have both been looking forward to our time on the Garage Cast, and I think that leaders create the future, and this is a great time, an exciting time to be a leader. And uh, the CSL, as we affectionately call it, the Center for Strategic Leadership, actually began two years ago as a startup. And as you say, it launched last Thursday, which was extremely exciting. And as part of our launch, we had a conversation between Karen Jervich, our current principal, and Grace McCallum, our future incoming principal. So it was a historic moment for uh, for the two of them to be talking together about leadership. Well, really, uh, just to talk a little bit about how it all started, Karen, Patricia, and I were having a conversation one day about what positive difference it might make if we gave our employees the opportunity to have leadership learning accessible right here at the school. And how could a, a hub for leadership be relevant and useful? And uh, that idea really got traction because I think that we really believe that um, a school is really the sum of its talent. And if you invest in the people of your school, it can really be an amazing idea. So if you think of the CSL, it's it's a bit like uh, a greenhouse Mm -hmm. where we nurture and grow talent and then apply the skills that our employees need to really embrace change and innovation, both personally and professionally. It's fantastic. I mean, it's such a unique offering within a school. And when you think of organizations, there are others, you know, out there where it's people, we're not producing widgets or products or, you know, you've got to be able to do that investment and growth in your people. I have a question for for Patricia, but feel free as well, uh, Carrie, to jump in uh, on this. You know, Patricia, you've had a a lifelong career in, call it talent management. Mm -hmm. I never liked the term human resources themselves, but what do you see, you know, if you reflect on the last couple of years and you think about the environment here at the school, what is it that leaders are needing today that they might not have needed Mm -hmm. before? That's a really good question, and it is so important, I think, for us in the CSL to pay attention to that, because really our our goal is to be relevant and practical for our leaders or for our employees. And so I think what we're seeing today that leaders are looking for is a real sense of leading teams, leading themselves, and really navigating through times of uncertainty. You know, we all know that exponential change is happening all the time. And I think what we're seeing that I may not have seen maybe 10 years ago is that it's uncertain. And so the kinds of skills that I think leaders and employees 
generally um, in terms of their own self-management or their development of their own careers need is how to how to navigate these uncertain times. Mm -hmm. And I think having the real uh, value of having the CSL for Branksome and, and for education generally, I think, is that we can uh, provide some of that in the moment at a time when they're dealing with situations that are tricky or they're making some decisions and just need that kind of support in a really practical way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think leaders, you think of leaders and they've got their teams, do their, do their direct reports need something different from them than they might have mm -hmm. five years ago, mm -hmm. ten years ago? Well, I think, I think people generally do. I mean, I think their teams need um, to be seen as whole people. Uh, you know, we all hear of people bringing their best selves and all of themselves to work. So I think what individual team members need is a sense of being seen and heard, um, being seen for what's going on at work, what they are interested in, what their development is, and what's going on outside of work, because we don't separate that when we walk through the door. And sometimes that's a challenge for leaders because we can do the the technical work, um, but the people work where you know people are more complex. And so I think individuals within teams are yearning for being seen, being heard, and and feeling like they can contribute. Mm -hmm. And so how do they have voice and agency right. is really important. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask a question about the name. Mm. It could have been this. It could have been the center for leadership. But intentionally, it's the Center for Strategic Leadership. Right. Give me that sense of why strategic was important as, a, as, a, as an element or an attribute characteristic of the Center. Yeah. I think we'll both uh, be able to add to this, uh, to answer this, Michael. I think we intentionally put the word strategic in there because we um, are here at the school as leaders to really intentionally implement our strategy. And what our hope is, is that by developing capacity within our leaders, they have the competence and confidence to implement the strategy in a way that will impact both the employees but also the students. We are here in the service of our students. So a well-executed strategy benefits our students. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, that the, the kinds of um, areas that we would look at is how to integrate leadership growth and development in the service of our strategy. So how might we in real time um, really activate the strategy through the capacity building of leaders? Excellent. That's amazing. It was one of the things that drew me to Branksome so many years ago is that there was such an intentional focus on strategy and a well-understood place for strategy. And so it's, it's terrific that the center itself has, has elements of that in its DNA and elements of supporting the strategy here. Yeah. You know, when, when I think of the, the center existing here at the school, to me, it's innovation. Because again, when I look across schools, you don't typically see this inside organizations. And I, I want to ask you just... For yourself, because your role has been quite varied over a long career here, and you know, you're always stepping into something new as you go through that career change. The center, though, to me, is a, is a really radical change for you. It's reinvention. Um, so I just wanted you to, to tell me what that's been like, to step into something that feels like you've actually reinvented yourself as a part of launching the center? Well, it's actually been amazingly liberating and exciting to step into a new venture, and particularly with a colleague uh, who I enjoy working with so much. But what it gives me a sense of is that I can leverage the knowledge and experience I've gained in my many different roles at Branksome and then really align it with the school's commitment to leadership and leadership development. And I think for me, it has been a most um, exciting and challenging and invigorating experience starting something new. And, you know, it's, um, I think having a startup gives you that sense of it may work, it may not work, and you have to step into it with a mindset of adventure and um, being very open 
to what may or may not come as a result. Mm -hmm. And I think I was uh, perfectly poised after my many years of um, knowing Branksome, knowing the culture, knowing the people here to say, let's see, let's try. And that's why I think for Patricia and me, Thursday's launch was such a moment of celebration because we couldn't have known in advance. And I think we tried a lot of different things. So as we were inventing the CSL, I was reinventing myself, and uh, the launch was a real moment um, of, of great celebration for us. That's great. When we think of the word reinvention, and this is something that Patricia and I have talked about before, reinvention suggests change, mm -hmm. and as we know, you know, change is hard for people. But when I hear you talk about how liberating and empowering reinvention is, my question, I'll start with Patricia, is how do we shift culture mm -hmm. so people feel comfortable to step into that mindset of reinvention? Mm -hmm. And really, you can just comment on, on what was it like for yourselves. Yeah. It's a, it's a really great question because I think the, you know, we've all um, spent, uh, you know, we all know about change management practices and, you know, the, the theory around change management, which is really important. And I think, you know, certainly in the CSL, we leverage that as we work with, uh, with teams and leaders. But reinvention really calls us to think differently than just change, you know. And so reinvention um, requires us uh, all to feel comfortable taking a risk, you know, failing possibly. I think when Carrie and I started this, I mean, sure, I have my role as head of talent at the school, and I've been in the role for a number of years now. But having, you know, done a startup, I mean, I've had my own business before, but in this context, having, um, you know, a startup, we didn't really know, as Carrie said, if it would work. So that reinvention and really that sense of, is this going to, to be the thing that we need? How is it going to resonate? Uh, it just requires you to think, well, I'm going to try it. And that, uh, having that sense of, I, I don't know if it's confidence, but it's, it's a sense of it's okay to try it. And um, it might need to be different. We might need to keep reinventing. You know, what we thought we were uh, going to do might need to be very different. So I think for, for individuals who are in a, in a space where they are being called upon to change and reinvent, how do we need to create that space to make it okay to not always get it right. Mm -hmm. uh, and what do, we, what do we learn from it? I mean, there, there's, there's mistakes that we could not have made, but, but when we're going into reinvention, it's about what can we learn from that? Absolutely. And how can we do it differently if it didn't work? Or how can we continue the momentum if it's going well? Mm -hmm. um, and have that, that sort of arc of reinvention. Yeah. So I think it's about creating the space to be okay to fail. I think what I would add is that we went in with a mindset of curiosity and learning. And um, I think we were very open to uh, experimenting and uh, being responsive. So it was, uh, I think, a collegial endeavor. I think our colleagues and the senior leadership team entered into it with us very much in a spirit of, we'll work together, we'll try different things. And for me, that felt like the safe space Patricia is talking, psychological safety. Also, we said from the beginning that our mandate was values-driven leadership. And as values-driven leaders, one of the tenets is start, connect, learn. You're going to start it, you're going to try. If it doesn't work, you'll adapt and try it again. And I wonder how we can build that out in our culture to make it seem that that flexibility and that um, learning environment is there for everybody, mm -hmm. that there isn't judgment, but rather a sense of, I tried that, I was curious to try it, and it didn't work as well as I'd hoped. And perhaps through discussion, collaboration, and openness, you, you reinvent and try something different. Right, right. Yeah. You know, when, when you embark on a new initiative, whether it's a an internal startup, whether it's an external startup, there's a lot of focus around sort of accepting failure mm -hmm. and learning from that. 
I like to ask this question, which is, what has been the unexpected pleasant surprise? Mm. Because I want listeners to realize that, yes, we have expectations we set for ourselves, and sometimes we fall short or we pivot, but there's many times as well where there's something unexpected to the positive. So any pleasant surprises over the last two years, things you didn't expect? I think quite a few. Um, I would say here were the good surprises. I think we were surprised at the appetite for leadership learning and the interest in particularly discussions about well-being and what it means to lead a meaningful life because I think it's all connected with how you see yourself and what personal leadership as well as professional leadership means. I think we found a significant interest in research and what the you know what podcasts and articles and books are telling us and that we were able to share with the community and people really very curious about this idea of reinvention and what it means to be um, living in the world we're living in of exponential change. We were very pleasantly surprised by the range of colleagues school-wide who participated and who came to our workshops and our conversations and who reached out to Patricia and me for coaching and for the one-on-one to learn more about themselves as leaders and as um, even if they are not leaders with positions, as people who are really committed to their personal growth. I think we also were quite surprised at the number of our colleagues who self-identify as leaders and who either are aspiring to become leaders or who are experienced leaders who want to further grow in their leadership and who are willing to invest time and explore this, who want to learn and discuss and share. So I think those were very pleasant surprises that we didn't anticipate. When you think of leaders here at the school, and the CSL is new for them, new-ish, I mean, it's been running for a couple of years, you know, we have new leaders, that could be existing employees that are suddenly in a leadership role, and we have, call them long-standing leaders, and there's going to be nuanced messaging to each of those. Let's take two people who haven't participated. What's the advice to the seasoned leader that says, not really sure what to expect or what the CSL, why would I go to the CSL? Mm-hmm. And what's the messaging to that brand new leader that's sitting there listening so that they have a sense of, yeah, they should step into this? Mm-hmm. So I think for the seasoned leader, I would invite that, um, you know, uh, as leaders, we're always growing. And so I'm sure they may have been been a leader for many years and Um, That's great. We would love to learn from them. So we really see the CSL as a place where we can learn from each other. So we have had many employees send us articles or challenge us with what about this particular way of working? And that's the beauty of the CSL, that it's very much a collaborative endeavor. So one, I would say to the seasoned leader, I'd love to learn from you too. And two, I would say there's always more to learn. Uh, And we are um, always looking for new research and different approaches, and we are eager to share those with people. So we're not here to say we know it all. We are here to say let's bring leadership together and let's uh, leverage everybody's skills and talents. So that's what I would say to the the experienced leader. And, And Carrie, what about the new leader? What might you offer? I think for new leaders, how to work with their people. I think that people development is something that is often new to a person who is newly into leadership. Um, Certainly teachers may not have um, had that training or background. And I think that developing a strong team and really learning how to bring out the best in your people is something that, first of all, takes tremendous self-awareness that you need to understand what it is you need to know in order to bring out the best in the people around you. And developing a a deep curiosity in who the people are and then how you can leverage their skills and talents. I think that that's important learning for new leaders. I think that new leaders often have um, some difficulty initially in how to give feedback. 
especially if you've been working closely with colleagues, you've been a member of department, now you are the head of the department, you're the instructional leader, and you need to learn how to give feedback in a way that is meaningful, but sometimes might require some, um, some truths be told. And I know that that is a learned skill. And one of the things that Patricia and I do is we are happy to role play what a situation like that looks like and uh, actually you know, apply the skills because I think the theory is one thing, actually having the conversation is another. And I might just add that important leadership learning for our experienced leaders has been learning how to build alignment. I think sometimes teams change and what felt like a stable entity, uh, even an experienced leader can find themselves confronting a different dynamic. And there are some helpful frameworks that we have been able to bring to experienced leaders in how to actually have an alignment conversation. And that's been useful learning for experienced leaders. That's terrific. It's a great point, Gary. Yeah. yeah. Great. So you've had... I love this idea of uh, this internal startup, and just so I'm sh I'm clear, it was two years that it's been running. Right. We've had the launch, so what does year three hold for us? Mm. Well, we're definitely into our 2.0 of what we're going to be doing. I think um, we'll both tackle different uh, parts of that, but we're really building out this idea of what it means to be a hub of leadership at Branksome, how we can really elevate our visibility and uh, relevance to all employees. So I really want to clarify that where I, I feel we've located ourselves is not just working with uh, aspiring and experienced, but all employees so that there is growth across the school. So I think that finding ways to do that that are interesting and attractive to all employees um, is something that we're excited about and we're working on. Um, Patricia, what would you like to add? I, I think I would add that um, we'll continue um, with working with intact teams, so to speak, and, and the development and, and areas of interest and inquiry that they have. And that may be through workshops, and we're, but we're also exploring other approaches to delivering a workshop or to having the conversation because time in schools is our greatest commodity. And so how do we um, leverage even 20 minutes? How do we leverage even 40 minutes when people might have a break um, to really um, embed some of that learning or have that conversation? So I think from a reinvention perspective, we're also considering what can we, not just the content, but how we deliver uh, some of the, uh, the engaging conversations and content um, really resonate for people in a way that works. Um, and some of that may still be a two-hour workshop, but some of it may be um, something, you know, in a flipped classroom kind of way um, or a podcast that we might record. So I think that's a, a big piece of our thinking around reinvention. And the other um, I would add is that we are really uh, taking interest in what people are looking for as well. So how do we, as, as Carrie said, um, all employees, as we think about our lunchtime conversations and, and other um, content that we may deliver through the road ahead, you know, what, what seems to be resonating for people? So that, that I, I like to call it sort of the push in and the pull out. What do people need to know that we think is important and what do they, they feel they need to know? So I think responsiveness to that push and pull is something we're paying more attention to. Terrific. So my last question, just because I know we've got such a, a broad listener base, and for those that are our listeners that are part of the internal community, you do a great job of um, reach outs. You know, you've got um, structured programs. I, I participated, you know, with your, say, your instructional leaders where you're bringing them um, this experience. For someone that's listening and is now saying, I want more information, uh, maybe you should know this, but... Do we have this on the internal website? Do they just reach out directly to one of the two of you? How can our listeners get some more information if they want to have a conversation about this? Or, right. or before they have that conversation, they, they gather a little bit of info. Well, they can always reach out to Patricia or to me or to Julia Ferrari, our assistant. And we do have uh, information on the portal and we've launched our public website as well. 
And um, I think that if people reach out expressing interest, whether it's in coaching, conversations, workshops, we would be delighted to hear from them. Yeah, so, and sometimes they may not, they may just want to explore what it is we do. And it might just be a curiosity and it might lead them somewhere they didn't think they would go. Um, so I think we're very interested in people, we're curious, and we're more than um, happy and, and open to just having a conversation. It could be a walk and talk, it could be let's have a coffee, um, yeah. but let's explore what's interesting to you. Yeah, it's excellent. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you for coming on. Congratulations uh, for not just the launch, but for the two years prior. And I look forward to seeing how it unfolds in year number three. Thank you, Michael. We are just as excited as you are. And thank you for your interest and for your support of the center. Thanks so much, Michael. It's been a real pleasure. Me too. We'll be back in a minute. Let's just take a short break. I hope that you enjoyed that segment, that interview between myself, Carrie, and Patricia. I know they enjoyed participating and I enjoyed having that conversation. It was a rich conversation and I know uh, when we had finished, they both uh, sort of asked me, do you think that was a little bit too long? And my response was no, because it was an authentic, open um, conversation and here on the podcast, if it's a 20-minute episode, a 30-minute episode, a 45-minute episode, a one-hour episode, uh, the timing doesn't matter to me. It's the richness uh, of the conversation that we bring to the listening audience that really um, makes me happy and is important to me. I hope that you did find that to be uh, an interesting look at this strategic initiative um, that's taken place. And I said at the top of the podcast, what I wanted to talk about was how organizations, how do, how do businesses out there in the world um, build what I, I have often referred to as, as organizational value. When you look at sort of modern day businesses, um, these organizations really build value in a way uh, or through an approach that is uh, really a multifaceted approach that goes way, way beyond just generating revenue. And you think about uh, a business, these organizations, you know, you, you make a product and you sell it or you, you make a service, you, you provide a service and you deliver that service and in turn, you know, your customers are paying for you. And so quite often, organizations are looked at to say, you know, how much revenue are they bringing in? And that's how we'll sort of evaluate, or you can hear, you know, people talk about the valuation that is, that is applied to companies. But I would say that when you're looking at not just revenue, but overall value that's developed inside an organization over many years many decades, it goes way, way beyond just looking at the bottom line of revenue. And first and foremost, it has to be recognized that the human capital is really a significant asset inside companies. And that companies that invest in, in skill development, um, their employee well-being, uh, they invest in, in increasing and, and driving both intrinsic and extrinsic motivation of their employees. Those organizations, they see higher productivity. They see better rates of retention. And that's all developing value. And when organizations deliver their product, deliver their service, and live up to the promise they make to their customers, there's an increase in value. When an organization 
carries out strategic initiatives, it increases the value to that organization. In addition, innovation, that's what this podcast has really been focused on, is absolutely, absolutely critical. Organizations that foster this culture that we've talked about before of creativity and experimentation are generally a lot more resilient, agile, and better positioned to capitalize on market opportunities or to handle disruption. So that ability to capitalize on a market opportunity or some unexpected disruption, it happens because you've accumulated value inside the organization. And the last thing I'd say is that stakeholder relationships, whoever the stakeholders might be, and right now I've been talking about organizations in general, businesses in general, but I'll link it back to schools in a moment. But when you think of stakeholders and those relationships, it's got to be broad, right? It's not just shareholders of an organization if you're a public company. It's got to include relationships with customers, partners, the community you find yourself in. It's, it's paramount. And, and, and normally, you know, an organization's reputation, the strength of its brand, uh, social responsibility initiatives, all of these things can really significantly contribute to the overall value proposition. That's the promise that they make to their customers. And that, in turn, really enhances its competitive edge. And when you look at an initiative like the Center for Strategic Leadership, this is an organization that the initiative itself, just the embarking on an initiative like that, adds value. Think of of this value as something that accumulates over time. And then, if the initiative is done well, the outcome of something like a Center for Strategic Leadership Well, that's that investment, that ongoing investment in that human capital inside the organization, which in turn should add additional value. Leadership is key. I talked about it for eight weeks in the summertime. The Center for Strategic Leadership has got a focus on the development of leaders. Why? Because a failure of leadership just as we talk about all of these things that build value over time, a failure of leadership has the opposite approach. It can dramatically erode the value that's been built through initiatives, through time, through meeting and exceeding customer expectations. And I would say that it takes a long time to build value inside an organization It doesn't take very much to see that value destroyed very quickly, especially when there's a failure of leadership. What does that look like in organizations? Quite often, if there's a lack of strategic direction, this can result in kind of a scattershot approach to where do we invest our time, our money, our people, our focus? Okay? And if you are wasting resources and missing opportunities, it erodes value. It has the opposite effect. Ineffective communication, right? This is an important skill that we talked about before. It also can lead to demoralized employees. It can contribute to a loss of focus inside an organization, which in turn ultimately just diminishes productivity, whatever that might be within um, an organization. And then the last one, you know, this one I think is pretty obvious, is if the, from a leadership perspective, if there's, there's lapses, lapses in sort of ethical judgment, that can very quickly destroy uh, stakeholder relationships, it can tarnish the brand, um, and it can have real 
organizational consequences. And so leadership, when we, when we think of that and the potential to destroy value, we see that leadership's not just a role inside organizations, but a critical function that carries really significant weight in the preservation and the growth of organizational value. If we kind of refocus this from general organizations, and again, in my career, long career spent in, in consulting and in strategy, you know, I've touched every industry area. I don't think there's an industry area that I, I haven't touched. But when we take these kind of generalized organizational um, examples and, and reflection in and around uh, organizational value, when these principles are applied in the context of an independent school, and I know many of you who may be listening are in independent schools like Branksome. If you apply these principles, it can, it can be equally profound for your organization. Just think about where the value in, in an educational institution lies. Right? First and foremost, it lies in the quality of the education that's being delivered. And, and the welfare of students and employees and teachers. There's the school's reputation amongst educational peers in whatever region or community you might be. Investing in innovative teaching methods, um, curriculum design, your co-curricular programming, all of these things can significantly elevate a school's value. And ultimately, it improves the student experience and drives really great student outcomes. I'm not just talking about student marks. I'm talking about the whole student. Equally, if there's leadership failures, just like we talk about, you know, what's the consequence in, in, in organizations in general? Well, they apply. You know, schools are unique, special places because of what's done there. But they are organizations. And if there's a leadership failure in, uh, you know, an independent school setting, it can really have long-lasting repercussions, right? It can impact enrollment. It can damage relationships with alum, and on and on and on. So you, you want to be able to think about in your own organization, if you are a listener that is sitting in some industry, I don't know, healthcare, retail, finance, it doesn't matter. Every organization has to be concerned with the positive development of value. And if you're listening to this and you are in a school, especially if you're in a leadership role in a school, you really want to think about how do we focus on this? A focus on strong, visionary leadership aligned with the core values and missions of your educational institution becomes crucial if you really want to sustainably build this value over time. And this, this connects to the Center for Strategic Leadership. This concept of developing leaders for the future is, is critical. Without it, you can't build that value over time. And without it, you can't create that culture of innovation. Without it, you can't reinvent the, your people can't reinvent themselves, and in turn, the organization can't reinvent itself. And instead of being dynamic and fluid and agile and adaptable, it becomes static. It becomes stuck. It becomes stagnant. So I hope that you, you reflect on this. I hope that you have some conversations about this with someone inside your own organization. And again, my thanks to Carrie and Patricia for coming on and having the interview. Let's take a short break. We'll come back and we'll talk about artificial intelligence and some interesting developments. 
Welcome back. Let's talk a little bit about artificial intelligence. There's been some really neat things that are catching my eye that I wanted to bring to the listening community. Of course, there's always great stuff that's happening with with tools that we've talked about before. ChatGPT continues to evolve. Uh, It now has direct access to the web. Um, So that means that as you interact with it and before it could um, basically generate uh, content, it could be not exactly factual. Um, Now it has the ability to tap into the internet it's kind of similar to what some of the other tools are doing. Um, Google's Bard uh, is now in Canada. Um, I recently activated it as part of our, our Google environment at the school. I've also been using it extensively personally. And um, it's been interesting to, to use Google's equivalent of ChatGPT to compare it, to understand how it works, what are its limitations, where are its particular strengths. As well, personally, um, I've been experimenting in the late evenings and over the weekend with a really interesting platform uh, from a company here in Toronto called Cohere. Um, And I've been working on on developing kind of some rudimentary applications to understand how, how this platform works and enables uh, developers um, and entrepreneurs and businesses to create their own AI-enabled uh, types of applications. And this, this has been interesting to me. I, I like to tinker. It's in my nature to tinker. Um, I'm going through some tutorials where I've been um, using platforms like Cohere. I've been using another platform as well called Hugging Face um, to develop um, some concepts. Again, personal projects not related to anything that I... I do at the school, but I've developed a really keen interest in the area of artificial intelligence because um, it's going to be just so important. I wanted to highlight a couple of things that have emerged through this week. Um, Number one, you remember that way back, (laughs) we're talking like January of this year, I was talking about how Microsoft, with all of its investments in um, artificial intelligence, the OpenAI platform, it was going to start showing up uh, in all of the Office products. And of course, this now has come to pass. They have a whole um, sort of branded set of services that they call Copilot. Um, it's, you know, your co-pilot. It's there to assist you. And it's built into Office 365, Microsoft uh, Windows, I'm sorry, Microsoft uh, Office, you know, the Word, uh, Excel, PowerPoint, um, even Outlook. And it's coming on November 1st. Uh, it's going to come with a fee um, where people can subscribe to this service and you suddenly have uh, this artificial intelligence assistant the other thing I find very fascinating, uh, I, I, I always anticipated, if you go back, go listen to my podcast from January, and you will see that I was saying this was coming to um, the productivity suite. Google is done and doing the same thing. What's interesting is that Windows 11 from Microsoft has artificial intelligence baked right into the operating system. You know, you you have it in Microsoft Word, you can use it to help generate, you know, content. But in your operating system, what this is doing is it's using artificial intelligence to understand what you're asking for and carry out tasks on your machine. Think about when you use your computer and you You want to change a setting and you want the computer to to do something. Uh, You know, now we navigate around, we we point and click, we click on icons, uh, you know, we search for things uh, by typing them into the search bar. We we do all kinds of things with the computer every day. And this is being augmented with a co-pilot. And I tweeted recently, um, yesterday I tweeted, and I said that the age of AI assistants 
are upon us. You may recall a previous podcast where I talked about generative AI, this artificial intelligence like like ChatGPT, was the tip of the iceberg. And while true general generalized artificial intelligence is a ways off, there's an in-between that I had talked about. And now I see that it is starting to emerge. And that in-between is that artificial intelligence, sure, today we've got things like ChatGPT or BARD um, or Cohere, you know, where you basically you're, you're interacting with this thing by, by typing into a little text box. Well, that's kind of like how computers used to be a long time ago before we had the graphic user interface, the point and click with the mouse, and you just typed in commands. You did that using a, a computer set of commands. And today in ChatGPT or some of these other types of tools, we're using English. But I had speculated that the computer interface itself, you know, your hand on a mouse, clicking icons on, on a desktop. Think, just think of that. On our computers, we have replicated this idea of our desks and then we, we access things. That is going to change fundamentally because we are going to be working with our artificial intelligent assistant, our co-pilots, and they're going to become our conduits into these applications and into the things we do. So that is, that is one thing that I wanted to bring to the listening community, that these, these things that are coming out are exactly what uh, I and others had speculated earlier this year, 2023, would be the trajectory. So, we, you know, yes, ChatGPT was amazing and it goes through this hype cycle and then less people use it because the sort of novelty of it has worn off and then our power users or everyday users are using that. But more importantly, we start to see this stuff migrating into other areas. The other piece I wanted to talk about was Meta, which is formerly Facebook, they renamed themselves. They too now are stepping quite large into this area of artificial intelligence. And they have their own large language model. They have created their own um, interactive um, AI chatbots. But they're doing something quite interesting. It's not out yet, uh, but I've seen some demonstrations of this and I've heard Mark Zuckerberg in a recent interview. He is the, the, the founder and CEO of Facebook, now Meta. They are building that AI bot into their messaging products. So think of a messaging tool like WhatsApp. You probably use some something to be able to message with people. You might be using the built-in messaging capabilities of your phone. For instance, on an iPhone, it's messages. You might be using Facebook Messenger. You might be using Signal. You might be using WhatsApp. What Meta is doing is they are taking, just think of like a chat GPT capability and it's built into your messaging app. What does that mean? It means if I'm texting you, hey, Bob, uh, hope you're well. Um, why don't we grab a coffee next week? And Bob writes back to me, hey, Michael, uh, that sounds great. Um, I'm free at one o'clock and I'm going to find myself in the Yorkville area. Um, any suggestions as where we could meet? And suddenly it's like having a third person in that chat that pipes up and says, hi, Michael. Hi, Bob. Uh, this is Michael's AI assistant. And because Bob is going to be in Yorkville at that particular time, here are three coffee shops that you might like to uh, attend. And then I might say, hey, since you're getting together at that time, why don't we have lunch? And the AI assistant can say, here are three restaurants. And then Bob maybe says, wow, uh, restaurant ABC sounds really great. I've been wanting to go there and haven't been there before. And then I say, that's great. Let's go there. And then my artificial intelligence bot can proceed to make a reservation using 
a third-party tool like OpenTable. That use case, that example, that scenario is where generative AI assistants are going. They're going to be embedded in places so I don't have to go to my, my AI tool. It's, it lives in places where I need it. And this is something that's, that, that's coming. There was a great uh, article that I had read. I actually tweeted it as well on Twitter uh, a couple days ago that Meta, this is the title of it, Meta is adding a ton of AI-powered features to Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp. The other really interesting thing about this, you remember that when OpenAI launched and in one month, the uptake of ChatGPT was 100 million people. Well, you roll this into some of these communication tools. Meta, again, formerly Facebook, has 3 billion users. You're suddenly putting this AI capability into the hands of billions of users. To the benefit of those users, but also remember, the more these AI tools are used, the more they learn, the better they become. And this is a really important development. And I wanted to um, share that uh, again because I know we talk a lot about AI here on the podcast, but it is the defining technology of this generation. I guarantee you that. And the last, I don't call it nine months, 10 months, if we kind of go back to December of uh, 2022, it's truly, truly been uh, an exponential, day over day exponential gain that I am seeing and that the industry is experiencing in the area of artificial intelligence. Check those things out uh, for yourself. And again, take time to explore. Again, if you are an educator, explore it in terms of your own work. Explore it in terms of what do you bring to your students. If you're inside another organization, whatever industry area you might be, I guarantee you that artificial intelligence is already touching and reshaping aspects of your business. And regardless, regardless of where you work, maybe you don't work. Maybe you're, you're, you're listening to this and you're retired. Artificial intelligence will change the way, not just the way we work, but they will change fundamentally the way we live. And that's exciting. And it's important for each and every one of us to understand where things are going and make sure that we tap into it so that we're not left behind. Wow, 59 minutes we're coming up on here. That is a long podcast, but it makes up for last week's shorter podcast. And we had lots of interesting content to explore this week. So I'm sure that the time has flown by. It has for me, for sure. The music tells us that this is the last segment of the podcast. We're going to wrap it up here. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy September 29th. October is right around the corner. October is going to be an awesome, awesome month. I cannot wait for all the things that we will talk about through the month of October. Until that time, everybody, stay curious, stay well, stay excited, stay innovative, cultivate those skills of leadership. And I can't wait till we connect again next week. Until we do, I am your host, as always, Michael Iani Polarchio. So honored and privileged to be able to speak to so many of you. 
And until we connect again next week, let me simply say, ciao.